This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a professor of political science at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by my conservative counterpart, Cleveland area attorney and defender of freedom, Jay Carson. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this morning? Well, Mike, I'm uh, flying in the weekend uh, with all the confidence of a, uh, a private Russian pilot. <laughs> I'm having a pretty good day so far. I should point out to folks, if they didn't already know, today is, uh, we're recording this Saturday, August 26th. It is National Dog Day, and I'm always happy to announce that. Of course, in our house, every day is Dog Day. We have three of them, but I think today I'll you know get, spend some extra time with, with uh, Olive and Gus and uh, Bertram on, in honor of National Dog Day. And also, well, I wanted being to make it's National Dog Day. Now they, they probably expect it. You know, so. I think I, they, they probably would. And, and they have a right to, I think. But I also wanted to mention, I'm I am currently reading a classic that I have a classic work that I have neglected to this point in my political education. It's somehow gotten past me. I don't know how, but I'm reading the Communist Manifesto. And it's it's interesting stuff. I, you know, I got to say. Uh, once I got past the, the version I bought has, I kid you not, 191 pages of introduction, which uh, is, yeah, I want to support the cause. Um, Sorry, you're kind of missing the point, yeah, there, aren't you? But, uh, but uh, you know, it, it, Marx, he, he maybe goes a little overboard on some things, but I think he largely nails it on the conditions of capitalism with, like I said, a little bit of maybe going overboard at times. Uh, but uh, in the end, I think, you know, I realized yeah, I'm more of a sort of a, I guess I'd describe myself as a Bakuninite, Bakuninistic anarchist than a Marxist communist. So I, anarchism appeals well, to me. That's a little good bit more. to hear. So, you know, but I believe in, you know, in smashing the state and the market and it's picking up the pieces from there, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, maybe not. But Well, didn't you? I, I thought I, I thought we were in the same political theory class uh, and and that was required reading back then. I might not have actually read that, Jay. You might have skipped it. You know, right? I might have just, because you remember back then, of course, I was well to <laughs> right, the right, right of you. And I could totally see myself this, protesting yeah. this by not reading yeah. it. And, you know, that would have been, that would have definitely been a uh, peak conservative Baranowski. But anyway, all right. So we have a lot we want to get at today. Uh, certainly the uh, Republican debate. Uh, we want to talk also about whether or not Donald Trump is even constitutionally eligible to run for president again. There's more on Donald Trump's indictments, uh, the fires in Maui and some climate change stuff. The, as Jay alert, alluded to, the death, murder, assassination of Evgeny Prigozhin, uh, the liberal bias of chat GPT, some claim. Well, there's an awful lot there. We almost certainly won't get to all of it in the regular show, but we will get to all of it in the regular show and the midweek episode. And we'll get going on that right now. But before we do very quickly, I want to thank our newest supporters, Matthew Max, who's our first yearly supporter. That's a new thing we have. You can, yeah, support us yearly and save 10%. Uh, so there you go. Uh, uh, yeah. So thank you guys so much. We really do appreciate your support. And uh, yeah. All right. So let's jump right into it. Last Wednesday night, eight, count them, eight Republican presidential hopefuls. Well, actually, I, I guess I would say six presidential hopefuls, along with Asa Hutchinson and, and Doug Burgum, uh, took the stage in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for uh, uh, a soundbite competition that we'll call the debate just for ease of uh, our, I guess, conversation going forward. And Jay, you know, it's your party. <laughs> you can have it. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. But let me just start with you. What were your impressions of this hour and 40 something minutes of the debate adjacent like content? 
Yeah, so I, I think you're right. I mean, anytime when you've got eight people on the stage, it's tough to call it a debate. It is more sort of a meet the candidates night. Um, so I, I think that's uh, the, the format just makes it difficult, right? And and because you have so many people uh, in so little time, there is the necessity to try to generate the one uh, memorable soundbite quip uh, that that you're going to to get to get that that recognition. Um, uh, overall, though, um, I think it was it was more substantive than what I expected. Um, there was was less uh, less Trump um, than I expected. Right. I, I sort of I sort of thought about uh, originally sort of every every question or every response would have been framed in terms of of the guy who wasn't there. Um, but there was there was some of that, to be sure, and, and necessarily so. Um, but I, I don't think it, it dominated. There was some, some actual policy, uh, discussion or, or at least policy sound bites. Um, uh, I would say generally, I, I feel like, um, uh, Mike Pence and, and Nikki Haley presented themselves as sort of the adults in the room. Um, whether that's going to be a selling point or not, uh, I don't know. Um, uh, but I think, uh, I think Pence did himself a service and probably the country a service. Um, and asking uh, others to indicate the, in their support for for his actions on January sixth. Um, uh, I was I was less impressed by Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, um, who who again I think comes across as is very smart, uh, uh, well spoken. Um, but in this in this case, I think some of the the sniping. Came across as kind of juvenile. Now maybe that's that's picking on him because he's thirty eight, um, which is weird at, at a time in my life now where I look at you know thirty eight year olds as you know these kids. Um, but uh, right, I mean, usually we was thirty eight, you know, geez, old man. But um, so I, that's, I mean, I, I think I think he has he, he has a lot to offer the party in the future. I don't I don't see him. Um, having the you know I'll, I'll bring up the, the word gravitas i guess um that i that i might have hoped for um and especially on, on foreign policy stuff um that that trouble where i think i think pence and um uh nikki haley you know brought sort of more seriousness um tim scott who i i generally like as a candidate um and and sort of fits in that that kempian hope growth and opportunity uh, lane. Um, my sense was he, he sort of underperformed. He didn't, I was, I was sort of hoping for a breakout performance from Tim Scott and I didn't see it. Um, I don't think he did, did poorly. Right. But it wasn't, no one, no one, uh, walked away from the, uh, from Wednesday night saying, wow, Tim Scott. Um, well, yeah. And part of that uh, is the only two candidates who had less speaking time were, uh, Bergham and Hutchinson. So, you know, it, it, it that's uh, you just didn't hear much from Tim Scott. So then then when you come to DeSantis and to some extent, I would say, you know, in a debate without Trump there, uh, it it's sort of uh, DeSantis is to lose. Um, and I think he did. Uh, I, I, I just um, I wasn't uh, uh, over overwhelmed. Uh, and I think the sort of the, the sheepish hand raise thing uh you know seeing what everybody else did first um again that's one of those dumb trivial things but in in this kind of optics debate sort of bit it, it can those those things can make a difference no right? i i think that's telling it and for people who didn't see that that moment that's when uh the the question was asked of all the candidates if donald trump is convicted in a court of law will you support him as your party's nominee now a hand the one hand that went up like almost like it was on like spring assisted was uh ramaswamy who uh, you know, clearly is running for VP, I think, at this point. But uh, and then you kind of had the domino effect of Haley Scott and Bergham, who thought, I don't know what the hell uh, at this point. But, yeah, you, you notice DeSantis looking both ways and then then popping his hand up there. And it was I, I thought you're right. That was so telling of Ron DeSantis. I, I, I in no, no, in, no. Look, in fairness. Right. I mean, I think you. You want to sort of have the situational awareness to see, hey, what is everyone else doing? I'm just, you know, curious to see where everyone else is. Um, that said, you should also, if you're running for president, 
Um, I would would think you would have rehearsed and expected this question, um, and and you would you would have an immediate um, either hand up or hand down, um, you know, and shaking your head, and then you can look around. Yeah, well, you know, um, on, on that, I think that aside from aside from DeSantis, the two most interesting responses were well, number one for Hutchinson, who was the only one who didn't do anything with his hand, just kept his hand to his side. Not that he really matters, obviously, but the, the Chris Christie response was interesting. That kind of half-hearted rage that sort of turned into a wag, that turned into a head shake. And, and, and I got to say, you know, there's a, there's, there's a part of me that really uh, is drawn to the sort of pugnaciousness of there's something about Chris Christie's approach. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't mention Christie. Yeah, um, I, yeah. He got and, and to some extent. You might see if you agree with me on this. Christie can kind of get away with that, whereas DeSantis, it, it, it seems harder to get away with. Well, I think it's part of Christie's DNA. You know, it's it's yeah. what you expect of a Chris. It's a Christie. New Jersey kind of thing. Exactly. You know? It's like yeah. And, and but the whole all, all of the I think it was very telling. All of the booze. That Chris Christie got, and I I admire the fact that you know he I thought he played that very well, saying hey that's you know that's the great thing you know you can uh, you're you're implying a negative negative reaction from the audience not not that he was drinking yeah no yeah and so no saying that <laughs> yes, yeah so, I, I, I just sort of that that sentence the thing that surprised me about Christie was all the booze oh yeah yeah so. right no no but but when he said you know booing's allowed but it doesn't change the truth and and he's right. I think I think I strongly agree with him that Donald Trump has absolutely disgraced the office of the presidency and he's unfit to be president. And uh, and of course, the audience clearly disagreed with that. And uh, I, I give Chris Christie uh, a certain amount of credit. I think he knows that he's you know, go ahead. Yeah. And I was going to say, and Christie's done that in other forms as well. Uh, I think CPAC and, and some others where. Uh, he's he's been vocally uh, critical of Trump's character, uh, gotten the booze and sort of, uh, you know, waved it off. And, yeah, boo all you want. So do, do you think that's a, that was a fair question uh, that, that uh, about if Donald Trump is convicted? I mean, let's say you're asked that question. You're a you're you're a likely Republican primary voter. So it, it, in some ways, it's not a fair question, right? Because I think the I think the, the the better question is convicted of what and by whom, right? Um, uh, for example, if if Trump is convicted uh, uh, by Alvin Bragg on the uh, it's it's somehow campaign via, finance violation or something um, uh, to pay hush money to porn stars. Then, then no, I, I think that's that's absolutely you know that to me that would that would seem to be well that's that's not a real crime it's not a real felony this was prosecuted for overreach. Um, if on the other hand he's indicted for a felony of um, uh, uh, misusing uh, uh, mis uh, uh, you know confidential information and obstruction of justice uh, to cover that up, uh, I think that's a different story. So I think I think the the question is is a little unfair, um, but uh, uh, you know I think I, again if you're a presidential candidate instead of doing the raise of raise of hands thing I think you can you know say it depends on you know are we talking about a a, a real crime or not and I and I and I've you know you and I can go through this and I've sort of ranked them before of the hierarchy of of Trump indictments. Um, which I think are, you know, uh, uh, real crimes, which I think are, are you know, areas of concern and, and maybe indictable, uh, depending on what evidence we see and, and ones that I think are entirely ludicrous. But, um, you know, so I, I, I think there, there is that. Well, but in some way, I think it was. I think now there's also the other, the other argument that, well, no, I don't, you know, you can just make the political calculation and say, look, if the guy's an indicted felon, he's not going to be a, a great candidate. Um, but, but in a way I feel, well, I, I think the more interesting question, probably not in, in some ways would have been, do you feel Donald Trump is fit to be president of the United States? And uh, yeah, no, and, and that one, I think that is the, I think a more fair, um, uh, question. And so I think on that, based on what we saw, you would have gotten, uh, a, a, a no from Christie, and uh, I don't know if, if Hutchinson actually has the power of speech, but uh, he, assuming he did, he would probably have said 
maybe uh, uh, no on that, but the rest of them uh, un- untroubled by that. And I think that's just political calculation, uh, essentially, for, for a lot of them. But, um, you know, the, you're uh, on the indictments, uh, multiple Trump indictments saying that reminded me, I wanted to correct a misperception that's sort of a persistent misperception. Uh, listeners who tuned in last week, is it tuned in? I don't know if you tuned into a podcast, checked out the podcast last week, know that Trey and Ken were talking about uh, the Trump indictments. And one thing that Trey had said, and he's, he said it before, I believe, is that uh, Jay and I have argued that the various prosecutors should have in some way colluded, gotten together to release their indictments for maximum political effect. And after I heard this lies, second Mike. time, well, yeah, well, yeah, it was, I heard it the second time and, and I was listening to the show when I was uh, installing a ceiling fan, it practically fell off of the ladder. Uh, it's like, no, no, we didn't say that. And just to correct the record. No, neither JRI has ever said that. What we, what we said, and Jay, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, is that we believe that the Bragg indictment was prosecutorial overreach, was essentially almost a made up or certainly a legal stretch of the felony. Now, we certainly, I think I, at least I certainly discussed how it would be, it would probably have more political impact if the first indictment to come out had been uh, something that I felt was much more substantive. Like, yeah, Yeah. like, like the, the Smith ones, but but I never would have suggested, never would have deemed it. I agree with Ken. It would be completely unethical for the prosecutors to do that. You indict when you're able to indict, and that's how it should be. And so I just wanted to clear that up. And Jay, I'm, I'm pretty sure you feel the same way about that. I do feel the same way, yes. Okay. So, so but back to the debates, there, there were, I think you're right, there was some substance uh, aside from the, the Trump question. The one uh, other question that came up, right, the national abortion ban, I thought that was I thought that was interesting, given the candidate responses about that. uh, You know, would you support a national abortion ban? And I think Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, there's there's this six week ban in, in Florida. I believe that's held up in the courts. But he said, I understand Wisconsin will do it different than Texas. Iowa, New Hampshire will do it different. But I'll support the cause of life as a governor and as uh, a president. And uh, Bergam, if anyone was listening to him, said something I think sort of similar. Uh, the feds are stepping into people's lives and stepping into people's businesses over and over. If we say the feds should be in this, where do we stop? And Jay, to me, that seemed like sort of the old fashioned traditional. Uh, yeah, we I believe- think those are both good answers. Yeah. yeah. But everyone else is like, oh, yeah, let's use the power of the the power of the state to impose this national regime. But I thought, my gosh, traditional. Well, I, don't think, I don't think Nikki Haley was well, yeah. there. I think she was. Well, yeah. yes. No, I, I disagree. I liked her answer in a way, because what she said is that we don't have the votes to do this. And don't lie to people and tell them that you're going to do this. when We don't have the votes. But it's very different from saying I disagree with this because I believe federalism is an important thing, even if it right. cuts against right. us. And I wanted to get your take on that issue. No, I I, um, I would would uh, go with the um, if, if you're asking me like how would I how would I have answered what what do I think would be the doctrinaire old school conservative response is that um, yes uh, federalism is is what we're all about laboratories of democracy um, this is. Uh, Part of why you know Roe versus Wade was such a problem because it was a um, non-legislative, uh, non-elected body imposing a national uh, policy, uh, and 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 that's that was the issue for two reasons for three reasons one um, uh, unelected uh, two uh, national and three it's a it's a policy that uh, our side doesn't like um, so I think it, at least you can you can say. Um, Hey, let's let's move into that that second area where um, uh, states should should be able to determine if if this is a a state issue, which constitutionally we now have determined that it is. Um, uh, I I believe that uh, we ought to trust the states and the the voters of those states to do what they see uh, best for for their state. Um, some of them may come up with with terrible ideas um, and terrible bills. But uh, 
I think, you know, this, these things work themselves out over time. So that's, I would, I would have taken that old school federalist approach, if you will. And, and, you know, you can still say I am, I am uh, uh, all for life and I would argue and, and fight uh, at the, the state level for, uh, for uh, the restrictions I feel to be appropriate. Um, but uh, no, saying the federal government ought to get into everyone's business, uh, I think, is is problematic on, on a whole lot of fronts. But I think that's a losing argument for, for a lot of people. I mean, Doug Burgum can say what he wants because it's not like he's going anywhere. Uh, and, and certainly Nikki Haley was right in terms of vote counting and strategy. Uh, and I, it's rare for me to say I, I find myself in agreement with Ron DeSantis on this. So, but, but, but I certainly do. And I, but I think it's indicative of the direction in which uh, the Republican Party ha- has gone. Now, Democrats have always believed in national solutions to problems, or at least certainly more than right. Republicans. <laughs> but the modern Republican Party uh, is, much, uh, is much more comfortable imposing uh, its regime on the country as a whole than the Republican Party of your and, and my youth was. Right. And that that troubles me. I mean, I, I would I would I mean, and again, I you know, I'm not I'm not running for anything. I'm I'm a guy who, you know, rolls out of bed and does a Saturday morning podcast. Um, but to me, the the more that candidates out there, especially and maybe uh, this is candidates to the guys lower on the ticket. Um, can go and make the principled philosophical arguments of this is what we believe in. Um, it's it's not even so much uh, the policy; it's that where the policy should come from. Um, the the better uh, we are overall uh, articulating a message. Principled, I, I I'll say that again. Principled philosophical arguments. <laughs> Well, I, no, I, I think what world are you living in? I don't know, but I know I hear what you're saying, and and I think it's certain it's certainly nice to hear them a little bit. Though, of course, when you have uh, what is it, one minute to respond or one minute to reply and thirty seconds yeah, for yeah, a response? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's extremely tough. Yes, yeah. good luck making a principled philosophical argument. I also want to talk about Ukraine because there's a pretty big difference here. Right. I mean, I, uh, you mentioned Ramaswamy and your concerns about his foreign policy stance. I mean, he said, we're protecting against an invasion across someone else's border and we should use those same military resources to prevent the invasion of our own southern border here in the United States of America. And just yeah. to be clear, I think, I think that's a false comparison. Yeah. And, and Mike Pence pointed that out, I think. But I, I'm disturbed not just by that, uh, but also by the fact that he, clearly meant use military force because he said that at least twice during the debate. And the idea that we would use the same sort of employ the same sort of military resources to, I don't know what, to, 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 to bomb uh, uh, people coming over the border. Build a wall and bomb Mexico. I mean, <laughs> this is, this is, if that's not a dog whistle, I don't know. It's a pretty, it's a pretty audible one, actually. So it's just a whistle, I guess. But I, I just, I find everything about Ramaswamy just, just repugnant, actually. <laughs> just, there's not a, there's not a thing I like about that guy. I think he's awful. Oh, so I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind a, a Ramaswamy as a secretary of commerce or something like that. But, um, and, and, and look, I think there's I think there's a, a legitimate case to be made in terms of uh, do we need some sort of military intervention in terms of, of human trafficking, uh, in terms of the fentanyl smuggling, in terms of uh, uh, Mexican drug cartels. Uh, but you're are, aware are we can't use the military the on U.S. I mean, you're aware of the legal uh, uh, prohibitions yeah. against that. So I mean, like, in, in, I in, in cooperation with the the Mexican government, of course. So, so you're suggesting that maybe part of a solution is to is to uh, ha- allow or have Mexico agree to have U.S. military forces conducting some sort of military operations on Mexican soil. I'm saying that's not outside. I don't think that should be outside the Overton window. Oh, well, right? I, okay. If, if you're, you're going to uh, put it that that's, way, that's sure. what I'm saying. Okay. I think the case can be made that, uh, uh, you know, listen, whatever whatever is happening down in Mexico because of either the in, inability uh, or or the lack of political will 
to deal with some of these problems. Uh, at some point, it becomes incumbent upon us uh, to, to do something about it. So, Are, are, are you concerned when uh, candidates like Ramaswamy and, and other prominent voices call uh, what we're seeing uh, an invasion? Um, not necessarily. I mean, it, I suppose it's, you know, you're talking figuratively versus literally. I mean, is it is it an armed invasion? Well, in some cases, yes. I mean, you, there's we've got video of, of uh, you know, traffickers coming across the border heavily armed. Um, now, their their purpose is not to invade and overthrow the country. Their their purpose is just to move people and move drugs. Um but I find the term deeply you, when offensive. You've got, when you've got the volume, when you've got the volume of people crossing the border um, illegally, uh, I, I think I think invasion is an apt metaphor. Let's put it that way. I think it's a horrible metaphor because of the reason that you said these are not people who are trying to uh, invade in any real sensitive. It, it reduces human beings to either some sort of barbarian horde who are trying to destroy us or instincts or, or insects. It's it's dehumanizing. It's disgusting. And uh, again, it's just one of the many reasons why I find Ramaswamy a repellent figure. What I guess what what words would you use for millions of people coming across uh, a border that illegally? How about humanitarian crisis? All right. That works. I don't hear a whole lot but of that I, I in the Republican the, the debates. Next, the next question, though, is, is I mean, the, well, we could, we could dig deeper into that. Maybe immigration. Okay. I, I hear you. I, we, we, we were not, we, we were not either of us prepared for a discussion of immigration and human trafficking and all that. And so we can, we can put that to the side. That's, that, that's fair. Um, but, you know, any other before, because we've been spending a lot of time on this. I, one thing I did want to get to, though, was the elephant that wasn't in the room. Right. Donald Trump, who decided to skip the debate and do that interview on X with Tucker Carlson. Uh, any thoughts on any thoughts on that, either the strategic decision or the, the content of the uh, interview itself? So the strategic decision, um, uh, I, again, I, I this is something that's always that's always troubled me, um, having worked in politics and politics adjacent. Right. Um, there, there is a sense, uh, a sense of of honor, if you will, right? That you you feel like um, uh, people ought to debate, people ought to get out there and, and mix it up. If you're running, you ought to be, you shouldn't be afraid uh, to to you know go out and stand on the stage and, and uh, say your thing. On the other hand, if if I am a campaign manager or strategist, and I've got a candidate who is far in the lead. Um, it would be sort of professional malpractice uh, to recommend that, um, and and I guess there's always this this tension there, right? Because I I see the one side being, I think it's the more honorable course uh, to go out there and stand up and debate and so forth. But if you're asking me from a purely Machiavellian political strategy standpoint, uh, then no, the better the better uh, thing is to to uh, to not go. Um, and I, I think uh, now now I think that that can get played out at some point. Right. If you're never showing up, uh, then there's a problem. Um, but uh, or if you're declining to debate uh, a person who's got a significant uh, poll following. Right. Uh, then I think it, it, it smacks of cowardice. Um, but if, if it's the you know, if Trump, Trump is sort of looking at this and quite honestly, look, so are we. Right. We're looking at the, the debate is who's the candidate who's really going to run against Trump as opposed to who's the Republican nominee going to be. Right. There's sort of like two two stages in the in the Republican primary contest this year. It's going to be uh, who is, uh, you know, going to challenge Trump and then who will be the, the actual nominee. Well, I, yeah, so and I, I, don't I, think that's I understand. I understand um, why he's he's doing it. And also um, in light of. In light of his recent recent troubles, um, you know, you would you would have a bunch of, uh, you know, perhaps responses of under advice of counsel. I'm declining to answer that question um, sort of responses that just aren't going to play well. Uh, so better to stay home and uh, do a, a friendly uh, sit down with Tucker. I, uh, you know, you just said that I cannot imagine I, I can imagine a lot 
coming out of Donald Trump's mouth. But the the phrase under advice of counsel, I decline to answer that question is it's almost incomprehensible uh, for me to think of that. And, and you know, I, I got to say, I, I agree with you strategically. It doesn't make sense. I also point out that to millions of Americans and possibly to Donald Trump himself, he is the incumbent president and incumbent presidents do not debate as as a general rule. Uh, and And so I think there's that as well. Now, I think the the actual thing he did with Tucker was pretty bland for the most part, sort of underwhelming. Uh, th- there were a couple of lines there. You know, the, the one thing he mentioned, Biden, he said, it looks like he's walking on toothpicks. And I was like, man, that is a great line. I mean, it, it, Trump can Trump can do that in a way that someone like a DeSantis just simply can't. But, you know, whenever I think about Trump and Carlson, I think of that Carlson private line right in, in his text. Uh, I hate him passionately. And I think, my God, here we have, I mean, I watched, you know, I'm watching and just thinking, here we have two of the finest grifters in modern American uh, society getting together, kind of hanging out. And I just, oh, God, just, uh, they appreciate one another. You know, they hate them, in but, a certain uh, way. You know, again, it's they, they're both willing to put that aside for the sake of business. A, 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 well, that's what a good grifter does. You know, hey, if you're, if you can work a long con with someone, you, you, you do that and then you kind of go your separate ways. But, uh, yeah, I've also, whenever these debates come about, I think, is there, would there even be a way to do this in a format that wouldn't be so awful? Uh, I mean, because it's not just the, not just the one minute to answer, 30 seconds to respond, but also the top polling candidates in the center, other folks at the side almost guaranteeing that they're just going to be afterthoughts, which in fact they were and I've never come up with a good solution, but I, I thought about something a couple days ago. I'll run it by you. You're gonna think it's dumb, and that's okay. But uh, how about a tournament, like a tournament of one-on-one debates with polling-based seating? So you like have you have like you one, could have like people would fill out brackets and stuff. Yeah, like a DeSantis Burgum first round, uh, Ramaswamy Hutchinson, and then and then you have them who who gets to go to the next round is done by a, a poll of a random sample of likely Republican primary voters, and you build up to the final the final four and the last. I don't know. You could that would be much more exciting, and there'd be more time for actual some potential substance i know it'll never happen but it just kind of caught my uh, caught my fancy it's that's a pretty bad idea isn't it i don't know well, thank um, you <laughs> i'll take that <laughs> i'd like to see something different something that's not this excruciating hot mess uh, uh that we saw in milwaukee and that we're gonna see next month i think it is in uh where where's the next debate um I don't know where it is. It's it's the end of September. Maybe I think there's supposed to be a third one sometime in October. Nikki Haley said uh, some, something about that, I think. But I don't think the RNC has uh, confirmed that. At least in the next one, uh, we won't have Hutchinson and Bergham to kick around uh, anymore. And maybe that will help to streamline things a, a, a little bit. But God, these things, are just they're just painful to watch. I think. You know what also might, might be, be interesting would do like uh, team debates. Team debates. Explain. Um, on certain, I don't know, maybe you couldn't do that because there's too much space between people. But but no, I mean, now that you've got sort of a, uh, you know, different wings of, of the party, if you will, uh, although they're not they're not always coalesced completely on the same issues. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm like a weird person to ask about about this because uh, my tastes tend not to run to the, the popular tastes. Right. Um, it's it's sort of like if if uh, it's almost like a George Costanza do the opposite kind of thing. Um, well, there was that Oscar Wilde quote, whatever like, is popular. I'm is sort wrong. of like yeah. that must that must be the, the wrong unpopular thing to do. Um, uh, if yeah, if if I you know I could I could uh, you know screen movies or or you know music or something like that and say this is a hit here, and then they they would know to you know dump it because it would have no popular appeal. You are not. Um, you are not the typical Republican primary voter, and I will say the party is much the worse because of that. I've never, I've never uh, heard. I've actually never heard that uh, Richmond, north of Richmond, song, uh, nor the uh, uh, "Don't try this in a small town" or whatever. That's because you're a cultural elitist, Jay. I think we've, yeah. we've established. I am a cultural elitist. Um, <laughs> well. No, I, I go much more, and, and you know what? You know, back in the day. Um, uh, you know, this is this is sort of you know our little pitch line that I've I've used about our when people are asking about our show. I say, well, it's kind of like um, uh, 
firing line meets car talk. Um, and yeah, and as uh, well, older people know both of those, but but obviously uh, William F. Buckley's firing line program, where it was, you would sit down with guests and you would often have sort of teams and, and uh, debate for, you know, there was like an hour, sometimes hour and a half long show um, of, of, you know, guys, mostly guys, uh, you know, just sitting around, uh, uh, you know, talking Boring. back and forth. And I mean, that's, that's exactly, yeah. it just doesn't, um, now again, one of those guys is William F. Buckley, um, who could be immensely funny and entertaining and, and so forth. Um, sometimes they actually did like debate debates, you know, you know, sort of by the whole rules and, you know, resolved, you know, X, uh, um, you know, resolved communism sucks, uh, kind of thing. Um, and, and I would, I would, and this used to be on public television. Um, and I, I would have to think if William F. Buckley were alive today, they, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't let him, you know, within 500 yards of a, a public television studio. Um, but, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I grew up with and, and what I missed to some extent. And I think that sort of the idea that, that debates are something highbrow and an intellectual exercise, um, sort of devolved, right, over time into, to what we see now. It's almost like it, it used, it used to be sort of like if you were, um, saying, oh, yes, I, I'm, you know, spending the evening watching the presidential debate. Um, that's, that was a kind of, a you know, virtue signaling of, well, I am a cultural elitist. I am a smart person who cares deeply about important public issues. Um, whereas now it's almost a little embarrassing. It's like, you know, admitting you're watching the real housewives or something. And, and clearly, I mean, it's a, it's a popular format. I think Fox announced that it was the, uh, highest rated non-sports, uh, event on cable TV this year. So, I mean, it, it works for the ratings and that's really what it's all about. Yeah. Well, and look, to some extent, like I said, maybe if they relabeled it as as candidates night or something like that. Right. Meet the candidates um, as opposed to a debate. It might be something something different. Um, uh, you know, when I had my, my brief foray into actual um, running for office, you would do these rounds of, of candidates nights for all these various groups. Um, and it, it was sort of that of like everybody gets two minutes, essentially. You know, you get up and you introduce yourself and you say where you're from and. Um, you get maybe, uh, you know, that, that takes probably a good 30 to 45 seconds. Uh, and then you say your, your platform, which is, uh, you're generally for hope, growth and opportunity, uh, or something like that. Um, uh, and then that's, thank you very much. <laughs> and, and maybe, you know, that's cause that's almost what we have in these. Moving on or, or really maybe not moving on Jay, you know, you can make a case that Donald Trump shouldn't have been on that stage in Milwaukee, not just because it was a good strategy for him not to be, but because he's actually not eligible, constitutionally eligible to run for president. And and I know that may seem like some sort of far left fever dream, but it's actually a legal argument that's recently been made by two highly respected uh I was going to say card carrying Federal Society legal scholars. Do you guys get cards? I don't know. So um, we we don't, Mike. Although we, we there really should be should. cards anyway. If there were these guys, we don't need carry cards. We them. Can sort of, we we can rec recognize one another by secret the handshake. secret there hand signals and so forth. Anyway, these two guys, uh, William Bod and Michael Stokes Paulson, they wrote a 126 page article that's forthcoming in the University of Pennsylvania Law Review called "The Sweep and Force of Section 3. And their argument, in very brief, it's, after all, it's 126 pages, is this. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment prohibits any former official who's broken their oath to support the Constitution by uh, engaging in insurrection or rebellion against uh, or giving aid and comfort to insurrectionists or rebels. So if you did that and you were an office holder, you broke your oath, you can't run for office again. You're constitutionally ineligible. Now, this was clearly intended to apply to former Confederate officials after the Civil War, but there's no language in it that limits its application to that particular case. And what the authors argue is that Section 3 also is not just not limited, still applies, but it's also self-executing, which means that it requires no action from Congress to go into effect and that basically it's the duty of every 
federal or state official who judges qualifications like secretaries, secretaries of state who put people on the ballot or not to apply that constitutional qualification. And so they argue basically that the events that led up to and culminated in January 6th qualify as an insurrection. They defined that as a concerted forcible resistance to the authority of government to execute the laws in at least some significant respect. And that Donald Trump played a role in this insurrection, as well as gave aid and comfort to other insurrectionists on January 6th, both by his comments that urged them to fight, as well as by his hours of inaction when they, in fact, did storm the Capitol. And no, these are not frivolous guys, Jay. And this is a serious, very thorough argument. And I did more than just read the commentaries on it. I pulled up the whole 126 page PDF and read through the argument in detail. And, and I got to say, I, well, a lot of that's footnotes. Yeah, but that's true. But, <laughs> but what, what's your what's your reaction to it? So, look, I think as as an academic exercise, uh, it's it's worthwhile. It's interesting. Um, I I disagree with and I would I would say I would. Yeah. If, if someone sponsored an insurrection, um, uh, aided and abetted, gave aid and comfort to an insurrection, um, then then, yes, uh, Section three would apply. Um, what I what I disagree with is the premise that Trump did those things. I think Trump did a lot of stupid things. Um, uh, but I, I don't I don't think that what he did was an insurrection. OK, so let, let me uh, let me break right. at this least, down. At least based on at least based on the facts uh, as as we understand them at, at this time. OK, let me um, let me let me see if I understand what you're saying, because I don't want to critique what you're saying unless I actually am critiquing the correct thing. So are you saying that you do not believe? Oh, obviously, you said that you, you think that Section three of the 14th Amendment still is in effect uh, and that does, doesn't necessarily just yeah, apply yeah, it's in, to the, it's in the Constitution. War. It's right. in the Constitution. OK. Yeah. And do you also agree that it is self-executing? That's because that's that's another yeah, uh, self-executing. I think I, I think the way this would work and I, I don't know exactly how it would work in the real world, but I, I think the way it would work is that um, a, a secretary of state or someone like that official could say, um, now I think now I think they would need um, some sort of actual conviction, right? Or, no, I or don't think so. But that's another. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, but. yeah. But I so I would I would be be leery of of saying, oh, a secretary can say, so state could say, oh, I think this guy was an insurrectionist, so I'm not going to qualify him. Now it all sort of ends up in the same place, I think, because then the candidate sues and says, no, you you lack the authority to do that. Um, I think it's it's a different situation if. Um, you know, there is a federal uh, conviction to say, hey, this guy uh, committed uh, an, an insurrection or or uh, acts amounting thereto, right? Uh, um, sedition or, or something like that um, uh, against the government. And here's the here's the piece of paper and the conviction. And I'm the secretary of state. And I'm going to say that that disqualifies. I think that's an easier case. The other way would obviously be a third party uh, or an opposing candidate. Uh, could bring some sort of uh, like a mandamus action to have this person declared or not really a mandamus action, declaratory judgment uh, action. Um, well, maybe maybe mandamus uh, against the secretary of state to require him to um, remove the candidate or declaratory judgment. I, you would you would phrase it as both um, to say that this person is ineligible because of X, Y and Z, at which point it goes to you know courts and, and works its way, works its way through the system. So by by self-executing, I would agree that I don't think you need an additional um, act of Congress to to put it into effect. Because in other um, parts of the Constitution, including other parts of the 14th Amendment, when there was additional congressional action required, it, it will say Congress has the authority to uh, uh, enact this through or to uh, apply this through appropriate legislation, that sort of language. Right, right. Like, enforce, like for example, enforce, Voting yeah. Rights Act yeah. and, and so forth. Yeah. And, and well, you know, on that, I also want to point out the text of Section three does not say the person shall have been convicted of insurrection or giving aid and comfort. I just I, 
as a but but I think but I think you I think you would need to you need to have some actual factual predicate. Okay, I I, I, I it as I think, opposed yeah. to as opposed to just uh, hey, I think this guy did it. Now, again, in the context in which it was 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 written, it was sort of they're talking about people like Jefferson Davis, who was president of the Confederacy. Sure, it's it's pretty clear. Or or you know even someone well, um, you know. What color uniform were you wearing, and and you know which side were you shooting from? Um, so what if what if know, say it, the, Congress passed some sort of a thing saying that there was this insurrection on January sixth? I mean that would that would at least I, and, and and I should point out I mentioned this because Congress in, did in fact issue a uh, there is a public law what is it public law one seventeen dash thirty two passed by unanimous consent in the Senate. A 406 to 21 vote in the House uh, signed into law by, you know, by Joe Biden. So this is not like a this was not a partisan lines kind of thing, obviously. And as part of that public law, it includes the following congressional finding. And I'll read the text uh, on January 6, 2021, a mob of insurrectionists forced its way into the U.S. Capitol building and uh, so on and so on. So they specifically you cannot have a mob of insurrectionists. Without an insurrection, it's logically it does not logically oh, yes, follow. Why? Well, okay, explain this. No, logic I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm 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 goofing with you a little bit. Okay, right? but I, I think you can. Yeah, but my my point is that is you can make a reasonable argument that Congress even has said that yes, there was an insurrection because they talk about a mob of insurrectionists and not just the Democrats in Congress, but pretty much everyone in Congress agreed to that. And so my point, I guess, is that I think a secretary of state would be well within his or her rights by saying, saying, no, Donald Trump's name cannot go on this ballot. I know he's filed a candidacy uh, and uh, I'm not going to put his name on because just like I wouldn't put the name on of somebody who's not uh, not of age or, or not born in the United States, he is not eligible. And then uh, the Trump campaign would presumably sue. It's just like I think a voter in any of those jurisdictions would be well within their rights to say, hey, Donald Trump is on the ballot and he shouldn't be because he's constitutionally ineligible. And so I'll bring suit. And I think that's not a frivolous case. I'm, I'm, think, I'm, I'm thinking through the standing question on that, about whether the, the voter can bring it uh, or whether it would... An opposing candidate, I'm pretty sure, would have standing to bring it. Um, well, I think as a voter, you can argue that your interests are being affected because the fact that there is a candidate who is right. not you might qualified. Have, yeah, no, I, will, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm saying I'm not. I'm not sure where that goes. I'd have to think about that some more. As Ken has, as Ken has pointed out, standing is a very flexible sort of document, oftentimes. And if a court wants to find standing, it can. But I think in oh, this agreed. case, yeah. In this case, I think there there would be clear standing. But what about as a a, a legal argument? You know, you said, well, this is this is fine as an academic sort of thing. But I would push back and say, well, this is the wording of this is the Constitution we're talking about, and it's more than just an academic thing. And certainly, there are going to be lawsuits about this. There are groups that have plans in place. We should see this as early as. Late this year, when the first filings, uh, filing deadlines come in, I think Nevada is the first state and a few after that. So this is a thing that is going to happen. And, and maybe you can talk about it from that perspective as a, as a real world yeah, practitioner well, of the law. Yeah, let, let me hit on one thing um, you said earlier, though, first, and that is uh, Congress has, has deemed this to be an insurrection or has deemed uh, that there were insurrectionists coming into the building. Um that's that I think is 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 a problem because uh, under that theory you would allow Congress to um, uh, invalidate the, the candidacy of any any candidate. No, I, I'm sorry. I, I I either I misspoke or or you misunderstood. What I meant is that if as part of a legal argument someone bringing suit would to say, well, where is there any sort of a Certification or uh, ratification yeah, you of the, you can say findings. exactly as opposed to just this is more in response to your comment of well just because the Secretary of State decides that Donald Trump right. is an I insurrectionist would say that, yeah, there and, needed to be a conviction or a factual predicate yeah right and and so that was my response to that saying that well here is almost everyone in Congress saying that there was in fact an insurrection now there's that separate point then of 
if there was in fact an insurrection, was Donald Trump either A, an insurrectionist himself, or B, someone who gave aid and comfort to the insurrectionists. Now, I think A is a stretch. I disagreed with the argument there because I feel like his language was sort of standard political rhetoric and he did in fact say be peaceful. I think that is a legal losing argument. But the fact that he stood by uh, uh, watching on TV and did nothing for hours once there was this invasion of the Capitol, then I think that's a much stronger argument for giving aid and comfort. No, that is that's a stronger argument. I, I would I would agree with you on that. Um, my point on using a congressional statement as evidence uh, would would be, um, you know, could a could a Republican Congress say uh, Joe Biden has uh, engaged in an insurrection um, by uh, doing knowing knowingly taking unconstitutional acts like uh, uh, attempting to forgive student loans without congressional authority? We find this is is uh, in clear violation of the Constitution, uh, as did the Supreme Court. Uh, this was this was nothing short of an insurrection uh, against our form of government. Therefore, he should be ineligible. Well, sure, but that's, they, that's what I'm saying. But I they can do that now. I mean, a political branch to make that determination. But 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 I think that then that's just tossed out uh, very quickly as being frivolous. Just like if someone wanted to argue, not that anyone would do this, uh, Donald Trump, that uh, Barack Obama was not born in the United States and therefore is not eligible to run for president. I mean, a court takes a look at this. And no, says, no, no. But, but the idea would be the the Obama. Uh, piece there there would be some factual determination at some point right whereas if it is just hey these are a gang of insurrectionists um or they committed insurrection and, and you're not you're not the qualified you know judge and jury so to speak you're just acting as congress but, but i guess what um, i'm saying is that the courts deal with frivolous frivolous lawsuits all the time right and there was a mechanism are dealing with the God knows how many, but there are an awful lot of them. And so that's fine if Republicans want to say that Joe Biden is an insurrectionist. It's a ridiculous claim with nothing to support it, and they can't point to anything. And so, well, no, ahead. I can. I'm, I'm saying right now, I can point to a Supreme Court decision that say says uh, he abused his powers. He overstretched. Sure, but, but, but that's not insurrection. Uh, insurrection. And, well, you can I make say. that sure, and you can make that claim. I, I'm not I'm not denying you the right to make that claim in front of a federal judge. You should be able to make that ridiculous claim and waste your time on it. And but that's why I think I that think we're, I think we're talking past each other. My 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 issue is, is that if Congress can say it right, um, if you have if you have the votes, uh, the claim isn't frivolous. If that's if that's what I'm saying, if, if you're using a congressional finding is evidence. Um, I'm using it as, as a piece of evidence. I, I'm using it as part of a case that one might make, essentially. That also, and Donald Trump's very words, and the fact, I mean, there are documented facts here. We know that these people were in the Capitol for hours and Donald Trump did nothing. We, we know yeah, that. that no, is no, no, a, I agree. And so that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that this should be the only piece of evidence as if, you know, a, as opposed to something like a conviction, which I think would be much stronger. But I wonder then if you agree with me that this is not, if someone brings suit, which someone will do, that this should not be just dismissed as being frivolous. No, I, I, I would I would say it uh, it would pass a motion to dismiss test. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it actually succeeds on the facts. And, and again, this is a question that don't know if anybody's taken a look at this. I could I could go back and, you know, maybe there are some cases in the 1870s or something like that um, uh, where, where someone challenges someone to say, hey, he was a you know Confederate general or something. Well, there was that um, blanket amnesty, that too, that Congress passed back back uh, uh, back then that sort of covered a lot of that. But, uh, but, it yeah, did, uh, but obviously, I mean, here, here's the thing, if. if then if if those cases were described, decided on a congressional act, um, uh, then they were decided wrongly. No, I meant that I meant because part of part of Section three says that Congress can uh, I forget how it is, but can forgive case or can remove can the forgive, disability right, by right. a two thirds vote. And so that's what happened there. But, you know, one thing we haven't talked about, though, Jay, regarding this is, is the politics of it. And I would argue that I think that having read through uh, the entire law review argument. I think that that is a good case. I think that Don, you can 
I would maybe be persuaded to say Donald Trump is constitutionally ineligible for giving aid and comfort to insurrectionists. But I think from a political standpoint, I, I might actually put the law aside a little bit because it's a close thing, I think, for me. Because I think politically and for the country as a whole, that would be a disastrous way to rule because it would be it would be seen as basically just disqualifying this man who half the country or nearly half the country, maybe 40 percent of the country, 30, 40 percent, thinks incredibly highly of and feel is being completely shafted. And any sort of a judicial ruling that would say, no, he can't even run on less than absolutely rock solid grounds. That would be disastrous for the country. So even if I'm convinced the general weight of things suggests that, yeah, I, I think maybe he shouldn't, I don't think I could rule that way as a judge simply because of what I know, what I feel it would do to the country. And, and maybe that's that's putting other factors ahead of strict fidelity to the law. But, you know, judges have done that. Time immemorial. Well, I think I think there is there is a, uh, a judicial interpretation argument to be made. Um, when you get into, okay, the text, uh, how is the text uh, interpreted, understood in its original context? Um, in that context, it would have, insurrectionist would have meant uh, someone who joined the Confederacy and made war upon the United States. Yeah, though, I would right? be, see, I couldn't I do that. I think that's I, yeah. not unreasonable. That's a not unreasonable <clears throat> reading. Um, see, that, but that's, that's say, the sort know. of thing that I think in many cases, conservatives have rightly critique liberals for doing, for saying that, well, here's a here's a uh, aspect of the Constitution I want to break my way. So I'm going to interpret it out so it breaks that way. And, and and I think there's something to be said for, well, the words are what the words are. And if Congress wanted to say uh, members, former members of the Confederacy, they could have said that, but they chose not to. Once we start playing word games with that and 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 putting stuff into the Constitution that's not there, that's a that's a road that I'm uncomfortable going down, even well, if it the, helps the, to benefit the, my side. The, the the Clarence Thomasy kind of version of, of this would would be, um, you know, first yeah, the first thing you look at is the text, obviously, right? But then the second piece uh, is okay. Well, what did insurrection mean? In 1868, I think, right? 1868, 1867. Um, and then I think that's a that's a fair um, that's a fair uh, view to take. Now, um, let's see. I'm trying to think of. But you're not saying that 14th Amendment Section Three only applies to former members of the Confederacy. No. Okay. No, I'm not saying that. Okay. But I'm do. I, I am saying. Uh, insurrection, uh, as that term is used in the 14th Amendment, ought to be read uh, in terms of how it was understood by the general public in when, when the amendment was was uh, ratified, uh, rather than anything that that a contemporary Congress or Secretary of State might come up with. But yeah, I agree. But but I w I would also argue that uh, a group of a group of people. Storming the Capitol and uh, uh, chanting uh, about hanging the vice president who is going to uh, and Congress is going to certify the election for the person who did not win the election. If that's not an insurrection, I'm not really sure what is. Um, well, let, let me let me because this this is an interesting question for me. Say you're a political candidate and you go to speak to a group um, uh, pro Second Amendment uh, group. Uh, and you, you're there and you say, I love the Second Amendment. I love uh, I love guns, uh, guns for everybody. Um, uh, my opponent will take your guns. I won't let them. Um, now, supposing in the audience are a number of militia members uh, who totally believe in, yeah, I think we should have guns. And uh, um, uh, in fact, we got to really just get rid of the federal government. Um, are you providing aid and comfort to insurrectionists? That's a separate question. I, I see what you're saying. And, but and the first you, question you, you have to determine. Opponent, therefore, say, hey, this guy gave a speech to these crazy militia guys who want to overthrow the government. You're, you're changing the question, um, he's though. ineligible. You're, you're changing the question because first we were talking about, well, what what did the framer or what did the framers of this amendment, people at the time, how would they define insurrection? 
Now, what you're asking about but is- But they have defined it that way. But no, but that's two different things. Okay. It's what is an insurrection and then what is giving aid and comfort or what is participating in an insurrection. So I think by any reasonable standard, you can say, well, at least make a good case that what happened was at least an attempted insurrection. These people were insurrectionists. At least there were people involved in this. Now, yes, let's, I think it's- let's take, let's take a look, do it at, at a state state level. Uh, the Tennessee three or or uh, whoever they were, right, who who got up and um, interrupted and sort of brought the proceedings to a halt uh, over, uh, I forget even what the issue was now, health care or abortion or, or guns, I think it might have been. Um, plainly, uh, they they interrupted public meetings. They they were doing so on, on public grounds. Uh, you had people shouting from the gallery. Uh, the the uh, General Assembly had to adjourn. Um, is that, are, are they, would they be insurrectionists? No, there's a difference of kind uh, here. The difference of kind is that while they're both people who are being loud, uh, and disruptive, the people in the Capitol broke through barriers, right? Assaulted officers, broke windows. Uh, so there was an element of violence there. So the difference in. No, the no, difference there, let, me, the let me finish. Is, is, let me finish. Okay. There's one, that's the element of violence. And the second critical element is that. What was actually happening at the time? What was happening at time were the processes involved with the peaceful transfer of power between one administration and the other, as opposed to a debate about some sort of an issue. So that is fundamental to democratic government. That is fundamental. Yeah, that's a, in a good way. point. That's okay. no. That's a that's a good point. That, that it, it it has to go to the the fundamental functioning of the government, not a particular uh, policy issue. Absolutely. And so, to me, I think you can make a very strong case that yes, it was an insurrection. It was a thankfully he failed insurrection. Now, I do not agree that Donald Trump was directly responsible for that, though I do agree that he gave aid and comfort by failing to do anything to. Uh, at least initially, to halt that because he was too entranced by what was going on, whether that's through incompetence or some sort of a glee about people talking about hanging his vice president. I don't know, but it doesn't really matter. Right. In, in my point, again, I'm, I'm sort of just trying to be a Socratic jerk here. Sure. But, um, <laughs> but, I, but I think, you know, and there's a question, because you're, you're absolutely right. The problem is if a uh, you're at some point able to um, invalidate a candidacy, you will see swarms of these all over the place. And that was kind of what, what I was trying to point out, that um, everyone will be an insurrectionist. Oh, yeah. If you want an insurrection, um, this would be a way to do it. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. So that's why I think in the end, I hope the legal challenges fail because I have a pretty good idea what the consequences would be for us as a country. And even though I end up agreeing more or less with the argument, I uh, I hope for non-legal reasons that it uh, does not uh, succeed. And I don't think it actually will. Yeah, I, I don't think so either, but we'll see. Moving on, you know, Jay, the one thing, there's one thing I've kind of come to realize looking at a bunch of data. Uh, it's, uh, I would say it's, it's as certain as, I don't know, Donald Trump using exclamation points or all caps in his post. So it's pretty certain, right? Um, uh, the instant, the very second people listening to the show think I'm going to say something about supporting the podcast, they stop listening. Just like, boom, it drops off a cliff. So if you're one of those people, and you probably are, just give me one minute before we go. Um, you know, I I listen to a bunch of podcasts, and I don't financially support most of them because, I mean, come on, who does that, right? I mean, and also, I'm on a Kentucky State employee salary. You don't even want to know. But but. One thing that's absolutely free and only takes a minute, not even that probably, is leaving a rating, even a short review of the show on whatever podcast app you're listening on. It really does help us out because the more of those we get, the more likely it is that people are going to find the show and check it out. And that's how we can keep on going. And another thing that's free and really helps us out is sharing our posts on X and Facebook. Almost nobody does that. And it's my fault, uh, mea culpa, because until recently, what I posted for you guys to share is awful, been awfully, awfully dull. I've been working on that, putting together posts with little audio clips that I think are interesting and engaging and, and, and maybe sometimes provocative. I have some 
ideas about uh, from from today, Jay, some stuff you've said that I think will work really well, but uh, I think it should be more postable, more shareable. So please, if you could do that, it would be a huge help. We, we don't have a huge marketing budget. Hell, we don't have any marketing budget. So if people hear about the podcast, it's going to be largely through word of mouth, which means social media uh, or podcast search, which means sharing. The only way we'll get the insurrection going. There you go. You know, we <laughs> yeah, exactly. And of course, if you can't support us financially, that helps a ton. We literally could not do the show without our Patreon supporters. And if you become a Patreon supporter, you get ad-free versions of everything. The full-length midweek episode, not just that uh, a short in preview. Access to our supporters' Discord, where there are great conversations all the time and other stuff as well, like the opportunity to be part of our supporter participation episodes as we're recording them, Politics Guys swag, a bunch of stuff. Go to patreon.com slash politics guys, or you'll see that in the link in the show notes. Check it out. We also now have a yearly support option on Patreon. I think I mentioned at the top of the show gives you 10% discount at every level. That's good for current supporters too. If you want to move from monthly to yearly, but maybe that's too much of a commitment. You can also just do a one-time thing at Venmo or at politics guys or on PayPal. You'll find the support link for that in the show notes. And if you want to get that full midweek episode, but you're not in a position to support the show financially. There are a bunch of people who are right there with you and they've taken advantage of this. Just send me an email, mike at politicsguys.com. I will get you set up with the full access to the complete midweek show. Don't be shy. I'm happy to do it for you. And finally, if you want to reach us for any reason, maybe you think you were listening to our discussion of, of uh, the debate or Donald Trump's eligibility and you think Jay or I got something completely wrong we want to know about it. We do corrections or amplifications, clarifications all the time. Let us know. Mailpoliticsguys.com. You can also do that on our uh, our X or Facebook accounts. Links are in the show notes or if you're a Patreon supporter on the supporter Discord group. And finally, as always, a very special thanks to our fantastic uh, executive producers. You guys are the best, Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andre Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, and Don Oglesby. We'll be back with a new episode for you next week. We hope you'll join us.